The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Avengers, it's Age of Ultron. It's garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. <laughs> What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Denny Geek Presents Marvel Standom Live. I'm Mike Cicchini, the editor-in-chief of DennyGeek.com, and with me this week, for all time and always, until they get sick of me, we've got Denny Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard, Denny Geek TV Editor Alec Bajalin, and welcome back, brilliant pop culture writer, Denny Geek contributor, all-around good guy, Mr. Joe George. Kind of a slow news week for Marvel. We dissected Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 pretty thoroughly last week. Uh, movie had a respectable, if unspectacular, opening weekend at the box office. So we're going to dive into the archives again, because we had such a good time talking about The Incredible Hulk Returns. Well, everybody except Alec had a good time talking <laughs> about The Incredible Hulk Returns. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about the lost Marvel crossovers that never happened in movies and TV. So um, before we do that, anybody have any thoughts, anything you're particularly excited to discuss today? I don't really make a habit of looking at the run of show um, because I'm just flagrantly unprofessional. However, there is one thing that I cannot wait to talk about in this, and I will be sure to let you guys know once it pops up. Ooh, a teaser. <laughs> I feel like everybody can probably guess which thing I am most excited to talk about in this, but oh, yeah. uh, not even a uh, not even a contest. Uh, but before we get into it, just a reminder: this episode of Marvel Stanham is powered by eBay, the best place to get all your Marvel collectibles and much, much more. We will hear more from our wonderful sponsors as the episode goes on. But what do you say, folks? Should we just start diving into the crossover madness that awaits? Kirsty, I promise not to destroy your run of show this week, so <laughs> take it away. I'll probably wish you had at one point. <laughs> the first one that we're going to talk about is the, the unmade Blade sequel idea that Stephen Norrington had the first Blade movie was with Wesley Snipes was set to include a Morbius tease at the end but it was nixed footage does exist though and uh, Blade director Stephen Norrington um, was the stand-in for Morbs as far as I know 
in that footage. Um, I don't know whether a Blade and Morbius movie would have been any good at that time, but it probably would have been better than the Morbius movie we got because it would have at least had some uh, some banging tunes that immediately dated. I can 100% confirm, having visited this alternate universe, that this movie was indeed better than last year's Morbius. Uh, one thing before we go any further, I feel like we should give a shout out to Den of Geek contributor Gavin Jasper, who yes. uh, compiled a lot of the information on these lost crossovers for us and whose article you'll be able to read on denigeek.com slash Marvel starting tomorrow, Kirsty, Is that when we have the schedule? Yes, you'll be able to read it on denigeek.com tomorrow. It's a lot more in depth than we'll go into on the show. And uh, as usual, because it's Gavin, very funny too. So check it out. Gavin is an incredible font of knowledge about this stuff. All of the work he does for us is just great fun to read. So really looking forward to uh, to everybody checking this out tomorrow as well. Anyway, back to the Blade versus Morbius movie that never happened. So we've established that it would be better than the Morbius movie that we got. But I... I wonder if it maybe it would be better than the Blade 2 that we got, which uh, is a really what? good movie. Let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> it is a really good movie, Blade 2. It's not as good as Blade 1. It's Del Toro's weakest movie. And oh, you know what, Joe, I agree. We're thank on the you. Side for the first time in a long time. <laughs> and you, a people? big problem with Blade 2 is that the villain is kind of boring. It would be way better if it had Morbius as the villain. So I'm I'm really out of all of the, the the crossovers that we didn't get. I hate to ruin this already. This is the one that bums me out the most because especially if Norrington was back, he's great. He's really good at directing that. Uh, that, that first Blade movie rules so hard right from the very beginning. And as much as I love Del Toro, Blade Two doesn't live up to it, and so. Yeah, this sounds amazing. I think it, I'm going to go visit the alternate universe and compare it to to the Blade 2 that we have in our universe to see if it's better. I think I think the alternate one might be. Who would you have cast as Morbius at that time? That's a tough question. I mean, Jared Leto is still around 2004. We could keep him and That's not. <laughs> <laughs> the only name that jumps to mind for me is the um the fake Aragorn, the, the the guy that they got before Vigo, because he eventually played Lestat in uh, Queen of the Damned. Um, Stuart, oh, Townsend. Stuart Townsend, that's yeah. the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know if he'd be good or not, but like that's just the name that I immediately <laughs> associate with vampires in the early 2000s. <laughs> A direct <laughs> eye contact in the chat just said everyone wants 2004 Jared Leto back, <laughs> especially his co-stars. <laughs> well, I just gonna say when I think of Morbius, I actually think less sexy vampire and more nerdy science guy vampire. You know, so I I don't know. I don't know that I'd want Townsend. I don't know who off the top of my head, you know, they should be bold and like Paul Giamatti should be <laughs> Morbius. Really go into the nerd. He could do another accent like an Amazing Spider-Man 2. DJ Qualls. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yes. <laughs> Alec, I thought this is where you were going to confess that like you haven't seen the Blade movies or something. Like it was just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't care. Uh, oh, I I, uh, I hid that well enough, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! Really? Yeah, you have seen, seen the Blade movies? Seen any of them? 
No, wow. not a, not a, not one good. frame. One and two are really good. I don't agree with Joe and Kirsty. I love to love it, but like one is great as well. You can skip three. What was the what year was the first one? Ninety seven, ninety eight, something like that, right? Okay, so I was seven years old. Oh, you don't need to tell us that. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> depressing. I'm like, please. Yeah. <laughs> the first one has late '90s crazy vampire Donald Logue, and it's wonderful. So check it out. At least Ooh. watch the first five minutes. If you're not hooked after the blood rave scene, then then you can turn it off. But it's awesome. They should just make Donald Logue uh, Morbius. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, why not? Shall we move on to the next Lost Marvel crossover? Yeah, the next one we're going to talk about is the Dazzler movie. They wanted at one point to set up the mutant Dazzler as a mass media superstar, um, complete with albums, tours, and an animated TV special special, uh, written by everybody's favorite asshole, Jim Shooter. Uh, But it spiraled to become like this grand rock opera movie. Um, this thing was supposed to star Cher, Robin Williams, Kiss, The Village People, you name it. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield was set to play three lawyers who also happened to be the devil. Uh, I, I have no idea what was going on. I'm guessing there was a lot of cocaine behind this idea, but um, Bo Derek was set to play Dazzler. Um, but because she insisted that her husband, John, direct the movie, uh, it all kind of fell apart. No one wanted that to happen. So we never got the Dazzler movie or the tour or the album, sadly. Was this a movie movie or a TV movie? I believe it was a movie movie. I I will say, you know, uh, as we tend to do when we are doing these types of shows, folks, there was a time when you clung to every bit of potential superhero movie news, like it was like a, a, a piece of a life raft in the ocean. And so I was aware, you know, that there were attempts to bring Dazzler to movies and TV before I even really was aware who Dazzler was or like fully understood the concepts behind the X-Men. So there is part of me, you say Dazzler movie, and there's like a little secret kid inside me that goes, oh, they're making a Marvel, they're making a Marvel comics character into a movie. Really? Like, like that sounds all right. I'll check that. I don't know who that character is, but I'll check it out. Like, and I think they should revisit this. I think should Dazzler ever come to the MCU, it should 100% be a viable pop star playing it. And there needs to be an in-universe album. Like, I realize a tour might be too much, but there needs to be an in-universe album. I'm surprised that, like, this one, um, it seems so ahead of its time. Like, doesn't this seem like something like mar- modern Marvel of, like, we need to do this so that they can do this, so that we can franchise this, so we can make a tour here. Like, it, it sounds so ambitious, and I'm, like, very much into it. I think this sounds amazing. Boy, I'm going to throw cold water on it. I don't know. All I get from this is like imagining the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band movie like that sort of. Yeah, (laughs) like that sort of cameo celebrity cameos where they come out and they do their shtick and are all kind of cooler than the thing that they're doing right now. I mean, that would be the, the, the Robin Williams bit. All I can imagine is him like. Like what's oh what's the uh, the Baron Munchausen scene you know where he's just insufferable 
um, in that movie for just doing shtick for for five minutes. That's what I'm picturing in my head or something like that. You know, you if you read those histories of Marvel comics, there's that you'll run into a description of his uh, Stan Lee's Mary Marvel Marching Society show, this one night show that he did where, uh, yeah, you're shaking your head, Mike. It's it's famously a disaster. It's not, we have no recording of it. We just have descriptions of it. And that's what I'm picturing here, that this is gonna be like a 70s schlock sort of celebrities showing up and and doing their bit, being cooler than the, thinking that they're better than the material. And it just it just being terrible all the way through. That said, I'm not a big Dazzler fan, so this is no big loss for me. So maybe maybe that's coloring this, but. Uh. Well, I would strap in, Joe, because I've heard a rumor that there's some singing in the Marvels. I mean, is 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 Kamala singing? I think they're all going to sing. I think they go to a planet where people can only communicate. Oh, in song. Right. Kamala I Khan can do no wrong, so I have no problem with this. Fine. So maybe we've got a little soft launch for the Dazzler movie that should have been. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it can still happen. Who knows? I'd like to see a pop star mutant in the MCU. I think that's a fun idea. Why not? I will just say that they tried to revisit this idea in the early 90s with a character. Joe, I feel like there's like a glimmer of recognition <laughs> on Joe's face already. This is why I love having Joe on this with a character called Night Cat, who only. Yeah, like. I like as far as I know, it was only like one issue of a comic, but the idea was going to be like a comic. And she was an actual pop star who made a record like the record came out and then was going to do, you know, concerts in in character. I don't know if that element ever happened, but I remember seeing ads for Night Cat in every Marvel comic I bought for at least six months. Was this the era for there was like two months in the late 90s when every Marvel comic came with like a CD? Is that is that I just no, remember this first time that. I heard it's Jesus like and Mary Jane. Yeah. OK. OK. Yeah. So I'm thinking later. No, I don't remember that. There were at all. Jesus and Mary Chain CDs packaged with Marvel comics. Yep. What? Yep. For like a, you know, like a month. I just remember that was the first time I heard them and my mom made me throw them away because <laughs> that was blasphemous. <laughs> Wow, so not even Joe remembers Nightcat. Yeah. I'm really out in the weeds today, folks. <laughs> Lee in the comments is saying that um, wasn't Dazzler in Dark Phoenix, and I believe that she was, but mm -hmm. I do not remember Dazzler in Dark Phoenix. Does anyone else? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the only memorable part. She's in like one shot in the okay. woods when they get back from space, and the 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 kids are having like a bonfire, and it's it's like one push in shot. It's it's a cool shot. Okay, so you know? she doesn't have any dialogue or anything. It's just one. She swings and she sings and and sways for a second, and then it goes over to Jean Grey being upset. Okay, well, we need more than that, don't we? We need more dazzle than that. Come on. Do we though? Yes. I mean, we get Lila Cheney. We've got Jubilee. I mean, she's just kind of redundant. There's others that do her better. I don't know. I didn't realize you were going to go that hard on on poor Allison Blair here. Right? <laughs> um, she was so mean the long shot. She she doesn't deserve it. <laughs> Even the luckiest guy in the planet can't make her be nice. No, I don't like her. Is it time for the next one, Kirsty? Sure. Well, we look back uh, at The Incredible Hulk Returns earlier this year, and that was a great time. 
for everyone except Alec. Uh, <laughs> but there was supposed to have been another crossover movie after the Hulk TV show uh, with Nicholas Hammond's Peter Parker and David Banner meeting up. Uh, Universal put a spanner in the works with this one, claiming Lou Ferrino was just too busy for it. But Ferrino has said this was bullshit, so who knows, really. Folks, my love for the 1970s Amazing Spider-Man television series is undying and unmatched. This is the best live-action Spider-Man. I don't care what anybody says. The idea of these two characters actually meeting on screen, like, I, 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 dream, I dream this. Like, I, I still dream it to this day. And this is not one that I would subject Alec to. I figured you've been waiting for this one, Mike, to tell us because I've never watched the um, the Peter Hammond, um, Nicholas Hammond, sorry, Spider-Man. So I don't know what the vibe of that is. I thought you could maybe tell us a little bit about it. Was it like the Incredible Hulk TV show or was it, how was it different? Okay, so it is like the Incredible Hulk TV show in as much as there are no costumed villains there is nothing recognizable from Marvel lore outside of, you know, Peter and Spidey and J. Jonah Jameson and, and Joe Robertson, right? Like, that's pretty much, that's the extent of the, like, like Aunt May only shows up like once, I think, uh, or maybe twice. It's Peter as a grad student, not a high schooler. But my favorite, and it, it's very 70s, it's very low key, it's a lot of like, you know, 30 minutes of like Peter investigating, you know, dudes in suits doing shady things like not costumed villains, you know, and then like five minutes of Spider-Man action at the end. You know what I love about it. That is how a Spider-Man costume is supposed to look. A Spider-Man costume is not supposed to look slick. It is not supposed to look like it's made out of basketballs. It is supposed to look homemade and weird and goofy and people call out oh but the eyes are just like you know like reflective sunglasses it's like yes or oh how come the web shooters are on the outside of the costume and a belt i'm like yes like because that makes sense but the coolest thing the stunts on this show are so awesome you know nicholas hammond is a great peter parker like like is a really really cool peter parker on his own but a guy named Fred Waugh did the stunts. So most of the time when somebody is in the Spider-Man suit, it's not Nick Hammond. This guy is actually swinging around and climbing buildings. I mean, at one point in one episode, this guy is literally scaling the Empire State Building. And they've got this guy. They're hauling this guy up the side of the Empire State Building, sometimes with like a primitive GoPro rig on his shoulder or his head. So there's like really dizzying shots, of course, because it was very low budget. A lot of this stuff is like reused from episode to episode. <laughs> so it is a tough watch for mod modern audiences. I totally get that, but it is cool. And when that stuff works, it really works. So is it better than Japanese Spider-Man? Because that for me is, mm. is, the live action Spider-Man. <laughs> mm. <laughs> this wasn't supposed to be a tough question. I mean, Japanese Spider-Man has higher production values. And <laughs> like and like even like even better stunts at times. Like Japanese Spider-Man is really, really cool. <laughs> Alec, do you, wait a minute, Alec, do you even know about Japanese Spider-Man? 
it sounds vaguely familiar. We've talked about it, I'm sure. Like, there's no way we've gone through like dozens of episodes without <laughs> Japanese Spider-Man coming up. Yo, I need your Japanese Spider-Man thoughts. Oh, emissary from hell. He's amazing. He's he's got a mecha. He's he's the best. <laughs> Japanese Spider-Man, first of all, it's only 30-minute episodes, right? Um, you know, more colorful villains, like more time in costume, comparable or even better stunts. Tough call. I will say, for modern audiences, Amazing Spider-Man TV series, kind of a tough watch. There's one episode that I would show to, like, a civilian, and it's called The Captive Tower, and it's basically the same plot as Die Hard, you know, but 10 years before Die Hard. And it is just like a really good showcase of all the things this show did well. And it's like, if you, if you need a sampling of it and you just need like your 45 minutes of like, okay, I have now seen 1970s live action Spider-Man. That's the one to do. I might be sold on it. The stunts actually do look kind of nice. Like, like it seems like it just like, you know, at least a few minutes per episode of some guy just like rock climbing, which sounds kind of pleasant. Like everything is cooler when it's done practically, even when it's a little wonky and weird. You know, I just I'm I'm a big fan of lo-fi Spider-Man. Like as much as I love, I think Spider-Man Homecoming is an almost perfect superhero movie, period. It's my favorite Spider-Man movie. But like anytime things get a little weightless with the CGI and stuff, it just it just ends up losing me. Lo-fi Spider-Man meeting green paint bodybuilder Hulk on screen is entirely too cool. And I think the rumor with this is Spidey would have worn the black costume, you know, before mm. they revealed that the black costume was, you know, an, like an alien symbiote and Venom and, you know, who ruined that awesome design. Um, so the idea of seeing that costume in live action just as like a cool spandex suit on screen mm. like contrasting with the hulk oh man I, I would have been all for it it sounds very cool you are selling this i have not rewatched those uh uh live action spider-man movies since i was a kid and i'm definitely gonna go check that one out now because i found memories of them but it's also you know i'm wondering but but you're selling this hard I, i'm gonna check that out definitely like again won't push this on alex but you, Joe, like you, I feel, can hang. Kirsty, I think, could hang as well. I I'm not sure if they will actually take the plunge with the Captain Tower, but... Probably not, realistically, but it depends how sandblasted I am. You can put anything on, and I'll watch it <laughs> at a certain point in the evening. Do you know what I mean? Should we move on to the next one? Sure, there was a Blade and Underworld crossover movie planned. The thing about this is that not a lot of people know for some reason. I, I think because they didn't really make it part of the marketing or anything like that. But Celine from the Underworld movies is based on Chris Claremont's mutant Marvel character, Celine. At one point, there was an alternate ending to Blade Trinity that teased werewolves. So... It's not as far-fetched as you think. Kate Underworld star Kate Beckinsale revealed not long back that there were plans for a Blade and Underworld crossover movie. Um, but unfortunately, or fortunately, if you're so inclined, uh, the Blade rights had gone back to Marvel from New Line. And as, as we know, they had their own plans for Blade in the upcoming MCU reboot that keeps getting kicked down the road due to one issue or another. So it didn't happen, but it could have been very cool, I think. Guys. 
Is this it? This Are is we the one. <laughs> even really? though i previously revealed that i've never seen a blade movie you know what i have seen fully on the world movies Alex? every single underworld movie yeah that's right <laughs> it's the greatest <laughs> film franchise in the history of the medium whoever had the idea of like let's just have vampires in leather coats shoot at werewolves is like on the same <laughs> level of whoever discovered fire these movies are amazing and we deserve Blade in them, specifically Wesley Snipes' Blade. Joe's making a face. <laughs> I, I'm, I've got to be the Alec here. I've never seen uh, an Underworld movie, so really? I, I have no idea. I mean, it's people in leather fighting each other. I can see why Blade would fit in that. So, But no, never seen one. I, I own several of them. My wife loves them, but we've just never sat down and watched them together. So uh, the lore gets like, like surprisingly deep in the underworld. Really? Movie. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. After I saw it, like when the first one came out and like me and my buddies and it was all dudes, trust me, like my, me and my buddies like went out to like rushed out to see this. And I came out of it and just like, like super pumped about this movie. And, and my one friend looks at me and he goes, like, can I have my money back? <laughs> he was wrong. I don't care. Man. I think the third one of those movies might be the best one. Um, the prequel with Michael Sheen. Um, I don't know whether anyone remembers the third one or has seen I know Alex seen it. <laughs> Alex well, with me. He, Michael Sheen's in the first one, too. I mean, yes, he, he just, like, takes yeah. on the big role in the third one. Um, I, I think like the best performance in all of those movies is Bill Nye. Oh, he's amazing in this. Yeah. Bill Nye doesn't know how to do half a job on anything. He will show up to the set of Underworld and go a thousand percent. Folks, you know who's a you know who's a big Underworld movie fan? You're never gonna guess. Our movies editor, David Crow, who is really? like who always like gives a little bit of side eye to Marvel movies in general what? and everything else. Like, folks, <laughs> yes. Like our movies that are David Crow is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Okay. And, and, you know, but definitely, you know, can be a little bit of like a, like a film critic sometimes. <laughs> David, David's down with the underworld movies. Yeah. Like, in fact, go, if you go to denigeek.com slash underworld and poke around, like, like he, he wrote like an impassioned defense of like the, the Shakespearean weirdness of the underworld movies. I had no uh, idea about this. This is amazing knowledge, actually. Do you think that David knows that Celine is based on a Marvel character? And would it, I would don't it think so. Him? Would it break him to find out? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you know, just what, one thing before we move on, because in the chat, going back to what we were talking about with Spider-Man before, direct eye contact was fan casting like, after I was talking about Fred Waugh as the stuntman in the 70s, you know, Spider-Man suit, he said 80s Jackie Chan should have been Spidey, like, you know, pre-rush hour Jackie Chan. And no joke, when me and my friends were kids, that was ex like, you know, watching old Jackie Chan movies on like bootleg VHS. That was always the ideal in our heads for what a Spider-Man should be is like just the wild, goofy, you know, how is this even happening? Jackie Chan stuff. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say hi to everybody in the chat. Hello. I think that tracks because Jackie Chan would have physically been perfect as Spider-Man. And he, he, even though he's no Jackie Chan, <laughs> Tom Holland <laughs> does a lot of his own stunts now and definitely has the sort of balletic approach but i think you, yeah. you have to be a physical actor 
to pull off uh, uh, Spider-Man to be a great Peter Parker, you know? Definitely. The thing that sold me on Tom Holland, like obviously well before Homecoming came out and Civil War came out, but I remember watching like Instagram videos of him, like, like just doing like standing backflips and stuff. And I was like, okay, this kid can be Spidey. <laughs> Anything else on our wonderful blade? We've, we've talked a lot about how great the underworld franchise is, but we didn't talk a lot about the blade elements, but you know, I guess there's not much else to say there. I think those two would have been brilliant on screen together. I, I, I can't imagine it, but also yeah, when I, I do agree. imagine it, it's good. And when we get to like, when we get to like the big splash page scene in Avengers, like nine or 10, like 14 years from now, and like a CGI Kate Beckinsale as Celine shows up, I'm going to lose my shit. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, we have more to get to in this episode, but first a word from our sponsor. Stay right there. We'll be right back. Best Guardians of the Galaxy comics to grab for Volume 3. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 ends James Gunn's saga, but it could just begin your collection. 20 years ago, the idea of a Guardians of the Galaxy movie was absurd. The team was a ragtag bunch of weirdos disconnected from the main Marvel Universe as it was set almost a thousand years in the future. It had odd powers, strange enemies, and a vaguely sci-fi adventure setting. But something flipped in 2006, kicking off a chain of events that concludes with the final chapter in arguably the most beloved individual franchise in the MCU, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. If you're a collector, you're just in time to pick up this history of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Marvel Superheroes, number 18. In this 1969 book by Arnold Drake and Gene Kalan, a group of 31st century men Vance Astro, a pilot from the modern age trapped for a thousand years in suspended animation. Charlie 27, a soldier genetically engineered to live in Jupiter's gravity. Martin X, a silicon-based Pluto native. And Yondu, the only name you probably recognize from the movies, a Centauri who can control his arrow by whistling, all team up to defeat an evil alien race who has taken control of Jupiter. This is almost all gibberish to movie fans. And if you came to the Guardians after their 2006 comics relaunch, it's probably pretty weird to you too. But this is the first appearance of the super team. It looks great and it's beloved by collectors. Guardians of the Galaxy number one from 1990. The team saw a burst of interest in the late 1980s, which led to Marvel putting one of their biggest artists on the book by himself, Jim Valentino. Valentino, who would leave a couple of years after launching Guardians to co-found Image Comics, brought what would come to be known as that Image Comics look and sensibility to the book. Annihilation Conquest number six. Marvel's cosmic line had some ups and downs throughout the 80s and 90s. Silver Surfer, Thanos, the Kree, and the Skrulls were all top tier characters and concepts, but beyond them, the world wasn't especially rich or widely beloved. That all changed in 2006, when a series of interlocking minis tied together by bookend issues pitted all of the space characters against the classic Fantastic Four villain. Annihilation relaunched Marvel Cosmic, and for a half a decade, it was home to the absolute best comics Marvel was putting out. The second series in that run, Annihilation Conquest, followed a number of characters as the techno-alien phalanx tried to swoop in and conquer the galaxy on the heels of the Annihilation Wave. 
The end of that series saw the birth of the new modern Guardians of the Galaxy. Star-Lord, Groot, Rocket Raccoon, Gamora, Drax, Adam Warlock, Mantis, and Phylavelle. If many of those names sound familiar to you, that's because this book became the template for the movie series. Guardians of the Galaxy number one from 2020. The most recent book to carry the Guardians name launched at the beginning of the decade. This one isn't expensive and is probably a little bit too much of a deep cut to make waves cinematically, at least for now. But it does feature our favorite movie Guardians, plus Hercules. And it's weird and smart and gorgeous. Al Ewing is one of the most brilliant writers in comics and Juan Cabal is an exceptionally talented artist. Marvel preview number seven. There are a few more stops on our Guardians of the Galaxy journey though. First, we go back to 1976 when beloved Hulk writer Bill Mantlo and legendary writer-artist Keith Giffen decided to introduce a character based loosely on a Beatles song. Rocket Raccoon joined the Marvel Universe in Marvel Preview number seven. And as you might expect for the first appearance of a beloved character who is featured heavily in pretty much everything related to this franchise, this issue will cost you a fair bit. But Rocket is beloved for a reason. The Mighty Thor, number 134. The main villain of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is Herb Windham, an innocuous civilian name for one of the baddies with the deepest ties to most of the Marvel Universe. Windham, at least that's his comic book name, is better known as the High Evolutionary, a genius geneticist with his fingers in just about every long-running plot. He's messed with Galactus, Ego the Living Planet, the Avengers, the X-Men, the Savage Land, the Silver Surfer, the Council of Reeds, and maybe, most significantly, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. But relevant to the Guardians are his ties to Adam Warlock, who he adopted and supported following Adam's first appearance, even going so far as to give Adam the Soul Gem. Fantastic Four, number 66. And in the pages of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four came him. Well, this is the character who later came to be known as Adam Warlock, who was named by none other than the High Evolutionary. But here, it's the pages of a classic Lee and Kirby Fantastic Four comic that may just be the next big thing in the MCU. Guardians of the Galaxy flocked baby rocket raccoon Funko Pop. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 tugs on your heartstrings in a way no Marvel Studios film has since Avengers Endgame. Baby Rocket is at the emotional center of that. This eBay and Funko exclusive captures Baby Rocket in all of his adorable glory. Thanks again to our sponsor eBay. And we've got some more Lost Marvel crossovers to hit. Kersey, what's next? Well, the next one is The Ultimate War. Uh, Lionsgate's Marvel animated features were set to roll out an Ultimate War movie at one point. It was going to be called, it was going to be an adaptation uh, of a crossover in the Ultimate comic timeline where the Ultimates clashed with the X-Men over Magneto. Honestly, I think I really love watching anim animated um, DC and Marvel movies. I think DC have done it better, considerably better than Marvel to date. But um, I, I could have handled seeing this, honestly. I think, um, I, think it, I think it would have been good. Why not? I don't know how many of these I've seen. I, there was a Planet Hulk one, right? And there was a Doctor Strange one. 
Yeah. And I think those are the, you know what? And there was that one that was like a loose adaptation of the, of the ultimates. Right. Mm-hmm. And that one was kind of assy, you know, I thought the others were all right. And I thought they had potential, but yeah, once, once like the MCU came around, they kind of, there was no real reason for these to exist anymore. Was there? Yeah, and like Kirsty said, that DC was really eating Marvel's lunch when it came to animated movies at the time. Uh, I, I had seen the two Ultimate Avengers uh, movies. They're, the first one was basically the first six issues of the Ultimates, essentially. And um, then the, the second one was kind of a Black Panther origin. And both of them were were, were pretty lame. So Based on that, I'm not too excited about this, but I do have to admit that I still have a lot of nostalgia and fondness for the Ultimate Universe. You know, it it definitely had its downs along with its ups, but I still think there's a lot of good ideas in this and and in the that universe, and wouldn't object to seeing more stories from it. I'd like to see some like live action version of some of this stuff at some point, and which I mean we have with the MCU, but like. The my mind immediately jumped to um what's that who what's the comic that's like Wolverine versus Hulk more or less where like Hulk just like tears Wolverine in half I think it's Ultimate Hulk versus Wolverine I think is yes. yeah there we go is that written by Damon Lindelof like... too am I no, misremembering yeah, the, I think so <laughs> really what I I think it's written by Damon Lindelof either that or Carlton Cuse it's one of the two lost guys wrote it. Uh, I'm pretty positive it's Damon Lindelof, which I, is why I I'm think probably it is. aware of its existence. Yeah, uh, that would make sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like that's been like number one on my MCU wish list basically since the MCU started was just to see Hulk tear Wolverine in half. <laughs> like that's all I wanted to see from these movies. And, and Celine from the Underworld movie. Oh yeah, so I have two two wishes. I am with Joe though, like especially those first few years of ultimate Spider-Man, like there was a reason the ultimate Marvel comics line initially was the sensation that it was. And a lot of it has not aged. Well, like the ultimates is unreadable, unreadable. And you could talk to me all day about, Oh, but it set the template for the MCU. And And it's like, no, it didn't like maybe visually it did, but it's unreadable readable like even ultimate x-men a lot of that has not aged particularly well but ultimate spider-man is you know that's peak bendis and that is you know one of the great creative team runs of you know certainly of my lifetime i think i like that is how highly i regard that book and it always bummed me out that some of the concepts that i was most excited for to see be given the ultimate treatment like like ultimate ff like never really clicked for me right like so um and these but these movies were like an interesting blend of like ultimate marvel and you know kind of traditional marvel uh so yeah this this one would have been interesting to see but it just it just didn't have legs it just didn't feel as special once this other stuff started happening um lee in the comments pointed out that it is damon lindelof crazy which i had a hard time believing just because like i can't like marvel's been around for decades i can't believe that like it took some tv guy in like the mid 2000s to have the thought of like what if hulk tore wolverine in half (laughs) that would be literally like the first thing i would do if you handed me the reins to either character (laughs) what's next 
Well, back in the early 2010s, uh, Fox was toying with a big crossover between X-Men, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, and Deadpool. Uh, the story was supposed to be that the Human Torch caused a supernova in New York, and that would lead to the Superhero Registration Act plot that we later saw in the MCU in Civil War, really. Um, so this would be the X-Men versus Fantastic Four instead. Uh, and then they would have to team up against the Skrulls, I think. Um, I'm not sure how Daredevil and Deadpool would have fit in there, but I'm sure they would have uh, crowbarred them in somehow. I can't even imagine what this would look like. I mean, th this it's so many different tones and and different takes on characters. It, it feels the most crowbarred out of all of these. Yeah, yeah, that's the word to describe it. I, didn't, I have no idea what they were thinking of this one. To be fair, you could say that about the source material, too. <laughs> like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We've talked on this show before about Civil War is a bad comic. It is a very bad comic. It is a very good movie. The Civil War comic does not deserve the Civil War movie. However, this Fox Civil War sounds like the movie that the comic deserves. <laughs> Except it would be, it would put poor Johnny at the center of it. I mean, it's it's bad what they did to Speedball, but even I mean, Johnny Storm makes dumb decisions. That's that's part of it. So it kind of tracks in some way. But I don't know. That seems like way too much to hang on the Human Torch. Uh, it it was I'm more okay with you know sacrificing Nitro and Speedball for that terrible story. Uh, putting putting Human Torch into that just doesn't work for me at all. So it's been a long time since I've read Civil War. What's the inciting event or whatever that starts all of it off in the comics? Does anyone remember? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so at the time, the New Warriors were like an American Idol sort of thing where it was like a reality show bit where they were filming these young heroes all working for their shot and i don't remember why speedball is there other than just it's it's speedball and they're around a a school and they're fighting a minor villain called nitro who can blow himself up and reconstitute himself and somehow speedball punching nitro makes nitro blow up and kill a bunch of kids at the school because comics are fun <laughs> wow okay yeah. Who wrote this again? Was it? I'll give you a guess. We may have seen his name earlier talking about Ultimates. This was um, uh, Bendis or Mark Miller or? Miller, yeah. Miller, yeah. Miller, I should have known. Alec, <laughs> <laughs> well, this is one case where, this is one case where your lack of comics knowledge is a blessing. Uh, like, I actually, you know, I, I knew that. I don't know why. I literally, I know why Civil War started in the comics. Yeah, I think it's because, like, I've just heard you guys talk about it so many times. Like, I knew that, like, they accidentally blew up a school. Then I knew that Spider-Man took his mask off. Mm -hmm. Then I knew that the government, like, does, you have to uh, sign up if you're a hero. Like, I don't know why, but I know this nonsense. I fear that the, being on the show is pushing out essential information that your brain needs to retain, Alec, and just replacing it with just a bunch of comics nonsense. Yeah, like, I don't remember the name of childhood classmates or friends anymore. 
<laughs> Remember that Nitro blew up a school. <laughs> this was not, this was still pre Josh Trank Fantastic Four, right? Like this would have been, this would have been the Chris Evans, Johnny Storm. Lineup. Yes, that's Am correct. Right? Yeah, that's wow. right. Wow. I mean, the, the, we're going to talk about the uh, the Tim Story Fantastic Four movies in a minute, but those have such a lighter, breezy tone. I mean, that's what I'm saying. And then if you do the Mr. Fantastic from Civil War, where he's basically a straight up villain, he has a he has a uh, a, a secret prison in the negative zone that he builds to put non-registered superheroes and everybody else is just like, oh, this, I mean, Sue leaves him in the middle of it, but it, it's still played off as, well, mistakes were made. What are you going to do? I mean, that you wouldn't be able to come back from that in the movie. It's such a terrible idea in the comics. And then th- to try to translate that to live action, especially with these sets of characters. And then you've got Deadpool and Daredevil on top of that. I mean, I'm assuming we're talking Ben Affleck's Daredevil then. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. Right. How would gritty God hates me Ben Affleck Daredevil fit into next to Deadpool cracking jokes and you know pranks Johnny and Ben pulling pranks on each other just just on that level before you throw in Civil War it does not make any sense this just feels so much like like Fox saying if we put them all together we'll make money right I mean there's there's nothing to that other than IP. Yeah, what's the word? IP boggle or something. Christy, what's next? So our penultimate uh, crossover that never happened was a third Fantastic Four movie, uh, the Tim Story ones, uh, that would have had a Black Panther and Wakanda. The reason this didn't happen is because the second one was so shit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I was so excited for these movies when they were coming out. And they sucked. I can imagine you as a Fantastic Four fan must have been deeply depressed by these movies, Mike. Then they're not even like enough for me to get like that depressed about. They're just so bland. You know what I mean? And I know that their heart's in the right place. You know, obviously Chris Evans is a fantastic Johnny Storm. And, you know, Michael Chiklis is a terrific Ben Grimm. Like Rise of Silver Surfer is not good, but Doug Jones, like he's just no more perfect casting for the Silver Surfer than that, right? The Roger Corman FF is still the best FF movie. <laughs> no, the best FF movie is The Incredibles. Like these movies sucked anyway, but like it really can't have helped that like The Incredibles came out the year before Fantastic Four and just kneecapped it. Like that's, it's like the best version of the format possible. I want to mount a a small defense, small to the Tim Story Fantastic Four movies. I agree with you. Okay, the casting of Reed and Sue and especially Doom are horrible that's that's a perfect object lesson uh why you don't try to make you don't try to ground some superhero characters you cannot take a guy named victor von doom and try to make him fit in the real world and that's exactly why because he becomes petulant and whiny instead of imperious so all of that is absolutely true galactus shouldn't be a cloud i'm I'm with you with all of that but Tim Story's really good at directing hangout scenes. And I think the scenes where the team is just hanging out, especially the montage we get where Ben and Johnny are playing tricks on e- or pranks on each other is utterly delightful. That's I, I there are many things that I want to see in a Fantastic Four movie and, and neither one of those get them. But the one that I'm most worried about 
making it into translation is just the the antagonistic relationship between uh, Ben and Johnny in particular. I mean, there there's you get the the bit in the first one where Johnny's trying to figure out how to tickle Ben's so, so they slaps himself in the head. That's hilarious. And that's they just devote multiple shots to it. And that's that kind of character building that I want. And then in the second one, you get the bit where where they're doing like the super scroll thing and they're all changing their powers. And and the 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 way that Ben and Johnny are swapping the thing powers back to one another, that's exactly the rapport that I want. So yes. I think Tim's story is he's not well suited for big superhero action. Action, and I'm looking forward to another director getting it. But whoever takes over next, they have to include those parts. And I don't want those movies completely forgotten because the 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 family aspects of the Fantastic Four, which are so important, are played so well in those movies. And so I I would kind of like to see this, especially if you've got Jaiman Hansu as T'Challa. Oh, More Jaiman Hansu is yes. always good. That guy should be an A-list star. He's amazing. So I want this one. I'm pro this one. That's the thing that makes me excited about what this could have been is the idea of Jaiman as as T'Challa. Like that would have been kind of awesome to see. Yeah, it's sad that Jaiman has uh, only had that minor role in the MCU. It really feels wrong. He's so great. His voice acting on the the What If episode with uh, uh, T'Challa becoming Star Lord is hilarious. He's so funny. And I've never really seen that him in that mode. Usually he's kind of playing a serious dude. And I, he was so funny in that. I, he's, he's so great. So underused. Might have gotten robbed on this one. You know, Fox Civil War, maybe less so. But this one, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if it could have saved the franchise, but it would have been, it would have been cool. So the last film on our list of Miss Marvel crossovers um, is an X-Men Fantastic Four crossover. This is the Josh Trank Fantastic Four crew and the uh, Brian Singer X-Men crew. Um, Singer had said there were plans for a crossover that would have had those two teams in it. Um, but Trank's Fantastic Four was a dud. The X-Men movies were running out of gas. Um, so the, by the time Disney bought Fox, there it was nothing more than an idea, really. But there were talks about making it happen. I think that um, Fox was just going to keep churning these X-Men and Fantastic Four reboots out um, just so that, you know, Marvel couldn't really. I mean, that was it. Right. Um, they didn't care. They didn't care how bad these were. They were just going to keep the rights. And that's all that matters. So. Um, I, th I don't think we've missed out on a great one here. I, I feel like the casting in Josh Trank's Fantastic is not there for, for this to be um, anything that could have had legs. I would have liked to see the original edit of that Fantastic Four movie to, because the yes. way he was talking it up was like it was going to be a body horror movie. And I was like, you know, I'm into that idea for the Fantastic Four. I'd love to see that. Um, so that that darker uh, take on the Fantastic Four, like we didn't get it, but um, and we probably never will. Let's face it. Um, but I would, but I would have been interested to see it, and uh, it's certainly not what we got on screen in the end. Joe looks like he's never going to speak to either of us again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what did I say, Joe? Body horror with a Fantastic Four? Yeah. What, are, you, what are we doing? I love body horror. I <laughs> love that. And I want it with superheroes, not 
with a fantastic four. I mean, you have all the pathos that you need with Ben Grimm. You don't need to add on top of that. I, I hate everybody hates themselves and they want to die. I mean, it's 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 just so so wrongheaded. It, and and maybe in some universe there'd be a way that you can tell an interesting Fantastic Four story with more of those horror elements. You know, recently we got that Fantastic Four life story comic where it's kind of a more depressing take on the Fantastic Four, and I thought that was really interesting. But it th- you're you're already moving uphill when you try to. S- stick that sort of genre on top of those you know 60s space age optimistic characters you you really got to work hard to make it work and i don't see anything in this movie to to make that worthwhile and i don't know why you just don't make a fantastic four movie there there there's a reason that they've been around forever there's a reason that they launched the marvel universe they are such rich characters we don't need to reimagine them in this other way until we get them reimagined imagined correctly on screen so no you guys are crazy no nobody horror for fantastic four <laughs> well to agree to disagree Jared. <laughs> I like fresh. I like the idea of a fresh take on um, classic characters. I think that appeals to me. It it very rarely works out, but I like <laughs> to see it. I like to see an interesting mess. Give me more, please. Alec, did you see this? Did, did you have like? Did you bother with this movie? No. I look my 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 Marvel experience is like MCU proper. Like I try to like just. I don't know if I've tried to, but just how it worked out, like before I came aboard as a Marvel stand, is that like I try to stay unsullied by all non like official Marvel Studios productions outside of the MCU. Um, I mean, I've still seen a few like Spider Man, X Men, um, the same Rami Spider Man's it is. Uh, so yeah, no, I didn't see the 2015 Fantastic Four. I'm a little surprised that they wanted like the Brian Singer characters for X-Men though. Like what happened to the, like at that point in the, in X-Men's cinematic run, it was kind of all about the Matthew Vaughn first class folks, or at least like some combination of the two, I thought. I think in Days of Future Past, that was Singer back, right? So no. yeah. it might be like, I don't know whether they were using the older versions or plan to use the, the younger sort of, Matthew Vaughn versions, but um, yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, he did. Um, singer did. Singer who belongs in prison, by the way, uh, <laughs> uh, did the um, apocalypse as well. Um, and then Simon Kinberg did Dark Phoenix. So they probably were thinking the younger versions of those characters, but golly, I just, I can't see that. I mean, I have a lot of nostalgia for, a lot of respect for the 2000 X Men. You know, they, they, they seem, like almost like an also ran or almost embarrassed of being superheroes right now. But like Mike was saying, you know, back in 2000, we will take the X-Men in black leather. As long as you give us a shot where we watch Wolverine's claws coming out of his skin. I mean, that felt like such a comic book deep dive at the time to see that. And so um, I, I really love those characters. and I love those takes, um, but I just, I can't, do not want the fortastic touching them. What a terrible movie that was. It's not a great movie, no, but I was always a little sympathetic to it. I was curious about, you know, I thought Trank had an interesting idea for it. I would love to, I would love for that original edit to surface because, you know, one of the many problems with that movie is that the final product 
was so clearly hacked to bits and reshot within an inch of its life. As a Fantastic Four purist, I, I can't really argue Joe's points. What can I say? Are we out of lost Marvel crossover movies? We are, Mike. We're done. Thank you all for putting up with my exceptionally nerdy ramblings this week, especially as they pertained to uh, Spider-Man TV series things. And join us next week when we take a look at... What are we doing next week, Kirstie? <laughs> it's, uh, it's another edition of Marvel Stand and Book Hub. We're going to be uh, reading Spider-Man 2099 because Mike's never read it. I don't think Alex ever read it and I've never read it. I'll also be uh, talking to the directors of Across the Spider-Verse and finding out everything you need to know. Folks, read the first five issues of the original Spider-Man 2099 and yes. join us for Marvel Standom Book Club live. It's going to be fun. From what I understand, these comics are awesome and I've never read them. So this should be a good time. Read them, do your homework, come back here next week, hang out, in the Spider-Verse with us. We are at Marvel Standom on Twitter and Instagram. Drop us a line. Let us know your burning questions and what you want us to cover in upcoming episodes. Don't forget to also check out our DC, our DC show. DC Standom is available on all major podcast platforms. And check out Talking Strange, our paranormal, unexplained, and horror show hosted by the brilliant Aaron Sagers. Now, if you came in late, you'll be able to watch this entire episode on denofgeek.com or at our YouTube home, Den of Geek US. And don't forget, you can check out past episodes there and also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you once again to our sponsor, eBay. Thanks to Andrew Halley, the best producer in the multiverse. Special shout out, Michael R. makes the podcast version of this show. For those of you listening later, all it can be. We thank you for putting up with everybody in the comments, keeping us in line, keeping me on my toes. But most of all, thank you all for watching, listening, following, and subscribing. This has been Marvel Standom on the Den of Geek Network. Until next time, remember, folks, stand together. <laughs>